Welcome to episode 11 of the Pokemon Gold podcast. by the English accent you hear because on this episode the magazine's editor and regular host James Carew finds himself playing the role of the interviewee to talk about his own piece in the sixth edition of Pogma Goal. If you haven't got your copy of the latest edition of Ireland's only football magazine then you'll find it on the shelves of Eason's and Tuttle's and on pogmagoal.bigcartel.com. For today's episode, James is here to talk through the Irish playing style through the lens of three crucial games against the Russians in and around the reign of the late Jack Charlton. We'll look at three games from 1974, 1988 and from 2011. James, welcome to your podcast. Thank you for giving up the hot seat. Thanks, Taylor. To how the tables have turned. (laughs) Well, welcome. It's, uh, It's good to be here as well. Um, so before we get into this, I know you normally ask your guests how they got into football. So I'm going to flip that back on you. How did you get into the game? Um, we were a, a soccer, as we call it in Ireland, but or football, as we should call it as purists on this show. We were a football family. So four boys, um, even the dog played football. <laughs> <laughs> and... My dad was a coach in the school. He was a coach for local teams, school boys, and then up to men's levels. And later, he he even managed a League of Ireland under-20 side. So we all played at various levels. Um, My brother Shane played semi-professionally in the League of Ireland and then took a scholarship to America, where he's currently a coach. Wow. And I kind of went down the sports journalism route for for a time. So it's just it's just what we talk about as brothers. <laughs> if we talk about nothing else, we have football to fall back on. What are your first memories of football? Was it playing? Was it watching? Yeah, I suppose when you're like under nines or something, you were kind of you wanted to play, but you're also terrified. <laughs> so yeah. I remember just being like. It was this ordeal to go to a game and like suddenly you're had all this pressure on you to be on a pitch running around after a ball. So I don't particularly remember enjoying it as a little kid. Um, but yeah, I would have played for a club called St. Anthony's um, in Kilkenny, who I think St. Anthony is the patron saint of lost causes but <laughs> but we're actually <laughs> apt. we're actually really successful as my dad um was a coach not of my team but it was a really successful club and later when i was a teenager we won would have won like local leagues and went quite far in the national competition so without being particularly without having much ability 
I had a fair bit of success as a schoolboy, which is kind of what you dream of, isn't it? Winning cup finals and winning yeah. leagues. So, yeah, I, I, it, it was great memories, really. Yeah, that sounds that sounds great. I wish I had those memories. My football teams were failures, all of them. <laughs> um, you, I mean, you and I have played five aside recently, and you're in goal. Were you, were you always in goal? Is that where you used to play when you were a schoolboy? I was always a goalkeeper, except at the very start. And my brothers and our neighbours, we started a a football team. Like, we used to play in our back garden. And my older brothers said, let's start a team with with the kids from the neighbourhood. And uh, the the area is called Shelm's Rat. And we came up with the name Shelm's Rat Strikers. (laughs) <laughs> which is which is very American, but like we trained, they would train us in the back garden. But they said, "Well, we need a goalkeeper." So some, I guess, I just volunteered to be a goalkeeper, and I I distinctly remember I would never dive for I don't know, it must have been weeks and weeks. I would just never dive for the ball, and this one instant where I just kind of took off. And everyone just stood around flabbergasted because I made this amazing save. And ever <laughs> since then, I probably dived just for the sake of it to make it make a shot look good. So <laughs> there was no turning back from then. Yeah. And what are your first memories of uh, the Irish national team? Well, I I was born in the early 80s. So I was kind of football came into my consciousness right at Ireland's glory days when we with Jack Charlton mm. when we first qualified for tournaments. So I was only seven when we qualified for Euro 88, but I remember the games. I remember going out to the back garden, trying to recreate the goals. Mm. Then we qualified for the World Cup in 1990, first ever World Cup, go to the quarterfinals, mm. win uh, the last 16 round on penalties. So the goalkeeper, we, ha- we love our sports heroes in Ireland and the goalkeeper... Packy Bonner was my hero and he made this save and then like he's he's dined on that he's lived off that ever since 30 years but rightly so but like those days were amazing like qualified for the next world cup as well and even in primary school like if back in those days someone who had a second telly would bring a telly into the school a black and white telly and you'd sit because the games used to be on on a Wednesday afternoon in Lansdowne Road I think partly because there were no floodlights so they couldn't have it in the evening but they used to be on in the afternoon and the school the classrooms would watch the games or we'd be the the TV would be brought into the PE hall and the whole school would watch the games and you can imagine like the singing and (laughs) when goals went in so the whole country fell in love with the football team and yeah it was definitely a huge part of my childhood and and mm. Jack Charlton who we lost last year and that was a that was I think everyone felt that on a kind of a personal level yeah we'll talk a bit more about that because your piece begins with a a, a nod to Jack Charlton and his influence on you know Irish football what what are your what are your memories of him what are your thoughts of him he's a god He's, we loved him. We loved him as a manager. We loved him as a person. Um, I watched the documentary just this week. I don't know, did the Finding Jack Charlton, if you got a chance Yeah, I watched to see. it last night, yeah. That was my first time seeing it after hearing the hype about it. I kind of needed to prepare myself to watch it, but it was incredible, wasn't it? And back in those, back 
during those days, you didn't care about the style because there was so much tension involved that it negated. If you tumped the ball 40 yards, you would cheer it. <laughs> it's only in hindsight, maybe like a lot of maybe football purists would have would have um, looked back on those games and said we weren't actually playing a very nice brand of football. Considering the players we had, we had like really good players playing at the top English clubs like Liverpool and Man United, mm. um, which we don't have now. So people would say Jack could have got could have got even more success with a different style. But but back when you're in the middle of it, we were just winning, so you didn't care. How what would you describe Charlton's style as to somebody you know who's too young or perhaps hasn't seen too many highlights from that time what was it was it kind of long ball but pressing yeah I think I think he's unfairly painted as long ball um because he would have said and the piece states it that he he watched the 1986 world cup as a tv pundit and he said every other team was playing the same way through like a number 10 or no one so he devised he devised a style of playing which became known as pressing, but in Ireland it became known as put him under pressure. And that was the World Cup anthem. The song was called Put Him Under Pressure. And if you've ever heard it... Oh, really? Yeah, I think it was a rip-off of a Scotland World Cup song, but it had this... It was written... Was it Larry Mullen from U2 wrote it? And it's got this old Irish uh, guitar riff from Derek Doom. But this song, you can imagine, became the anthem of some of the best days the country's ever had. And now, even to this day, that song is played at every Irish wedding. <laughs> really? <laughs> and, yeah, and the place goes crazy. I remember being in university on a Tuesday night in the college bar. It was empty except for us. And we were drinking away or whatever. Maybe got a bit merry. We were up dancing and there was a jukebox in the bar and that song got played twice and there were two two ambulances called to the student bar. <laughs> someone like smashed their wrist open on glass and someone else like fell off a table or something. <laughs> but yeah, well, I've gone off on a tangent, but it was putting... His philosophy was play the ball in the opposition's half. So hit the ball in behind the back four and press it or when you have tall players like Niall Quinn Tony Cascarino they could win the ball they could hold it up so it wasn't long ball for the sake of it mm. it, it, it had method to it we would they would hold it up they'd knock it back hold on possession knock it back or we'd play it to the wings and teams couldn't play against us mm. teams were terrified of us and we went we were ranked eighth in the world at one point. Hmm. And, and one of the games we're going to talk about is um, in Euro 88. But I, every chance I get, I'd say we beat England in that tournament. But <laughs> you'll, have seen, you'll have seen in the documentary, first ever finals to qualify for were facing England and we beat them 1-0. But the goal, England's, there's a great radio commentary, England's defence is in a mess. And it was. They just could not cope with mm. the balls going in. And we got this header. But if you watch it back, England were in a mess. And lots of teams were in a mess 
when they played against us because they didn't know how to handle it. Mm. Yeah, it might be a slightly ignorant thing to say, but it sounds a little bit like Klopp's philosophy at Liverpool today. Well, that has been said by a lot of people that people call it Klopp's, Klopp's pressing game and some people say Jack Charlton invented the pressing game. Now, Klopp, Liverpool don't play it long necessarily, but it is playing it in the opposition's half and pressing them. Mm. And Jack maintains, and others backed him up on it, that he invented that style of game. And now everyone does it. There's a great line in, in in a previous documentary where Jack says, people call it pressing today. We call it putting people under pressure. <laughs> so, so it's Klopp's pressing and it's Charlton's put him under pressure. Givens head. It's the I admire Jack Charlton for coming in and saying, well, this is the way I want it. What I wanted to do was put people under pressure. England defence and the best Charles has gone for the high ball, trying to knock it down for Hope The new manager of the Republic of Ireland, Giovanni Trapattoni. No say the cat is in the sack when you have not the cat in the sack. Don comes to Ireland's rescue. Well, how's that not going in? I'm looking at the crowds tonight. You're going to say that's down to the football and we I'm, play? I'm, that's yeah, rubbish. That's what I'm going to say, rubbish. yes. That, that we are is rubbish. That's rubbish. Team. The former CEO has behaved disgracefully today. Ireland is be rock bottom now, real lack of quality. I know what I'm doing, very clear what I'm doing, real clarity. We will get back on track and we'll give the Irish supporters a team that they can be, they can be really proud of. Well, let's turn to your piece then. Um, I wanted to read out the subtitle um, for your listeners. Um, it goes, an examination of Ireland's oft maligned playing style before, during and after the reign of the iconic Jack Charlton told through three pivotal games against former football superpower, Russia. As an Englishman, we've got our own horror stories regarding the Russians, uh, most recently at Euro 2016, which was one of the most frustrating nights of my entire life. Um, but why, why did you choose this structure? It's quite an interesting structure to tell the story. Why, why did you opt for this? Well, it it goes right up to the present day. There are debates on Ireland's playing style. And because of the su- success under Jack Charlton, we were always described as a long ball team. And not without merit, because under Giovanni Trapattoni, for example, we put I put in the piece, the long ball got longer and there was no pressing. So... Football people, as there are purists in Ireland, would kind of shirk at the description that that's all we were capable of. Because we produced players like Liam Brady and John Giles and, you know, well, Roy Keane to a lesser extent, but like players who didn't need to play long ball. And so we've we've always been described as a long ball team or whenever... Like that World Cup's 30 years ago. Whenever a team plays Ireland, the opposition manager will say the same thing. It'll be physical. They'll have spirit. And sometimes they'll say a typical British game, which when you're Irish doesn't go down well. 
But not even the British, not even the English play that style anymore. England play football on the deck, creative football. And so we thought it would be interesting to take a game kind of before Jack's time, right in the middle of it, and then down the line when we qualified again for a tournament. And it happened to be against the same opposition or or different iterations of Russian teams. To to bring up that conversation about Ireland's playing style, like yeah. did it was it ever different? Could it be different again, or mm. was it even a, a long ball in Jack's time? Um, we should probably mention that it's, this is uh, co-authored with Gavin White. Yeah, and Gavin was our guest on the last podcast, so we both take a look at different games in different eras in the piece. And like a lot of the magazine, it's beautifully illustrated. Um, there are scarves on this one. Can you tell us a bit about? The, the design work on this uh, piece. Yeah, the graphic is, is by Instruct Studio, who are based in Manchester, and they've worked with the National Football Museum and um, have done pieces for us before, and they're brilliant. And there's a note on it. The, the, the graphic is a, a scarf, highlighting the different eras and kind of Russian iconography on it. And they make a point that especially in away game and the Irish fans are celebrated and I've been on quite a few away games and they are amazing that buying the scarf is is a souvenir and Instruct quite rightly point out just not when it's a half and half <laughs> <laughs> well I think it's okay if you're going Ireland Russia but not kind of Man United Man City when you're going to the <laughs> Manchester Derby yeah exactly um, so the first game then from 1974 this is a U, uh, European qualifier against what was then the USSR. Could you set the scene for this game? Yeah, lots of long hair. <laughs> <laughs> and played in the Daily Mount Park, which is the home of Bohemians, who we've talked about on the podcast before. But that is where Ireland used to play their home games. And it's known as the spiritual home of Irish football. And... I don't, there maybe was 30 or 40,000 people in the stadium that day and it's not designed to cater for that amount of people. But Yeah, well, I watched the highlights in the lead up to this interview and the, the stands look absolutely rammed. I mean, I couldn't get good quality picture, but it's just a blur of people. It's, it's just so unfamiliar to what we see, well, not nowadays in the times of COVID, but when stadiums are full today, you can see individual people, but back then it was just a mass. It's yeah. crazy. There's a, I, it may have been that game or, or possibly against Italy, but there's famous pictures of supporters standing on top of those stands watching the games. So, like, packed into Daily Mount and the Daily Mount roar was famous. And this was one of the most famous games. So it was Liam Brady's uh, debut as a teenager. Uh, John Giles was the player manager. But the kudos go to striker Don Givens, who scored all three in a 3-0 win to, to set us off for a change on a positive note in a championship qualifier. Yeah, well, when I was watching the highlights back, it's interesting we mentioned Liverpool earlier because the first goal is very kind of like Trent Alexander-Arnold, deep from the right-hand side, long ball into the box, flicked header. It's a, it's a very like modern-day Liverpool goal. It's a brilliant um, goal. So John Giles, I think, kind of hits it on the outside of his foot to, I think it's Joe Kinnear. I watched it back myself just before coming on. And he takes like two touches, one touch, cross in, 
Givens kind of goes in, heads it in. It was a brilliant goal. Amazing, yeah. And is the, am I right in saying that the commentary for that goal is on the intro to this podcast? Yeah, that's the famous Jimmy McGee. Yeah. And Don Givens' celebration is bizarre. He just kind of holds his two hands up like Atlas holding the earth or something. It's just, it's a very weird celebration. But yeah, that, that is... That performance is considered one of our great performances because the Soviets were very strong and, like, we battered them yeah. that day. And it, fi- it finished 3-0, is that right? Three goals from Gibbons. Finished 3-0. And so in those days, the format of the qualifiers was quite different. You kind of had to get out of your group and you were in a quarterfinals before you went to a finals tournament. So we missed out on getting out we missed out on the qualifying by a point to the Soviets. And in another game in that, in that qualifiers, we beat Turkey 4-0 and Given scored all four in that game. So And he finished the European qualifiers top scorer. So we were, we were very, we were close. And, in, and in, even when we qualified then, there were only eight teams in the finals. So you think about nowadays, how many teams go to the Euros. So it was much more difficult to qualify but on that occasion, we went pretty close. Yeah, and that, so this game is obviously, um, in the context of your piece, the, the pre-Charlton era. Yeah, so that, what I was talking about, that was this was Ireland's only style ever to play this direct, pragmatic pressing game, and it wasn't. So we had players like Jackie Carey in the 50s, um, who would have been like John Giles' hero, who captained Man United to the FA Cup. And he captained a rest of the world team against England. So he was considered a great player. Um, Giles was considered a very creative, great player. Liam Brady was... We have a piece in this edition where like, he went to Serie A, became a legend at Juventus. So Irish players didn't go to Serie A and, and he was really skillful. Almost entirely left-footed. Like he, when you watch clips of him, he never seems to use his right foot. Yeah. So this idea that we couldn't play, that we that we had to play this direct, that that this was an example that no, this wasn't a, the the traditional Irish style. Yeah. And your second game then. So this is um, two years into Jack Charlton's reign, again against the USSR. Is this it, it, what is the competition? So this is at the Euros themselves, the first this time... This is at the, the Euros, the first Euros. Yeah, so we'd beaten yeah. England. Don't know if I mentioned that. <laughs> but the second... So the Doesn't inter- hurt to get it in again. No, but, like, that was backs to the wall. So Packy Bonner had a blinder that day, and I don't know how Gary Lineker didn't score. Um, We did hit the crossbar again, actually, but, like... Yeah, we were blessed to win that. But in the second game, we played the Soviet Union with these amazing... Again, which we have another piece in the magazine where it has CCCP across the front of the the shirt. So this kind of iconic kit design. But if we win that, we go to the semi-finals. Like, can you imagine? The, mm. Our first ever tournament. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. But, and this was a kind of a theme going through the article is that this is considered maybe Ireland's greatest ever performance. and it Yeah, it surprised me to, to read that, not being familiar with the actual game. It surprised me to read that alongside the result. 
which was 1-1 in the end. Yeah, I suppose we kind of deviated from the long ball game and started to knock it around and we were brilliant. And then you'll have seen the goal. Yeah. I mean, what a goal. The goal is unbelievable. It's kind of... It's like a overhead kick slash scissor kick from the edge of the box, isn't it? From Is it Ro- Ronnie Whelan? Ronnie Whelan, who was at like, a Liverpool great. It kind of comes off his shin, and he, he says that many times, that he shinned it. But the goalkeeper was uh, called Dasayev, who's a really famous goalkeeper, was named uh, goalkeeper of the year that year. But talking about growing up, recreating the goals like for years we were convinced he hit that from the halfway line (laughs) (laughs) really (laughs) that it was a throw-in from Mick McCarthy and he volleyed it from the halfway line but only slightly less spectacular was the reality (laughs) yeah it was an amazing goal and you mentioned that throw-in from Mick McCarthy which is massive I didn't realize he had such a throw it because it's kind of like parallel with the edge of the box on the on the edge of the pitch and he reaches like the other side of the like the D on the front of the penalty area. He, he put it on his shin, basically. It was an incredible goal. Yeah. When I first watched it back, I thought that how have I not seen that goal before? That's one of the best goals I've ever seen. And then I saw it in slow motion, saw it came off his shin, and it was kind of like Rooney-esque, you know, that goal against yeah. City. But that's, <laughs> it probably is the greatest goal Ireland has scored, and what a place to do it. But this was seen as a bit of a deviation from the, the the norm but also showed that they could play that these were really creative players and unfortunately we we conceded and there's a very famous line by the commentator George Hamilton um just before Russia's score he says uh, something like goalkeeper Pat Bonner has gone 165 minutes of these championships without conceding and immediately says oh danger here <laughs> And Russia score. <laughs> so this is oh, no. that line has followed him everywhere. It became this website that would um catalogue commentator curses basically and it was called Danger Here, but oh, really? follow George Hamilton everywhere that he would jinx us <laughs> with his commentary. Yeah. But yeah. unfortunately we, we drew the game and that meant we needed to get a draw against the Dutch in the next game. So it's not quite covered in the article, but they scored from who was Ronald Koeman's takes this shot from about 25 yards and it he kind of bounces it into the turf and then Vim Keeft heads it and it's going wide in fact Keeft was offside the ball's going wide and somehow the bounce and the spin takes it into the corner past Bonner and we lose 1-0 and then Holland go on to win it with the famous Van Basten volley but they win it against the USSR, don't they? Yes, yeah. So, like, how close we were and really rubbing shoulders with the big boys. We put in the piece that that tournament is seen as uh, the England game, a game we should have lost, the Russian game, a game we should have won, and the Dutch game, a game we should have drawn. But we kind of announced ourselves on the world stage, and again, it was a performance against the Russians. Okay, well, let's move on to the most recent game in your piece then. This is a qualifier for Euro 2012 from September 2011. So this is away in Russia. What, what's the context of this game? So this is obviously post-Charlton. So this is post-Charlton and 
like we 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 qualified for Euro eighty eight, Italia ninety. We missed out on Euro ninety two, despite not losing a game in the qualifiers. We're in England's group, and England topped the group because of a result in Poland or something. But we almost went to Euro ninety two, and then we go to ninety four, beat Italy. And the Charlton era ends with a playoff defeat for Euro 96 to the Dutch. So a kind of ageing team. The Dutch team are up and coming with Clivert and all these guys. And they, they, they beat us in Anfield. And Charlton resigns after 10 years. So you can imagine now all, all subsequent managers are measured against him. And Mick McCarthy comes in and... He gets us to a couple of playoffs, but doesn't quite get the breakthrough. And then he does get us to World Cup 2002. Mm. That's the first World Cup I remember, actually, 2002. And I remember Ireland having some very exciting games. I think there was a lot of excitement surrounding the Ireland team before they'd even kicked the ball, wasn't there? Well, do you really want to go into that? <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps not. Perhaps that's for another podcast. <laughs> well, the whole Rykeen thing like, may- meant Ireland were making global headlines before the tournament even started. But then when the, ge- the-, the games get going, you're right. Like We had some great performances. We drew with Germany and... Robbie Keane scores in the 92nd minute or something to equalise. That was brilliant. Yeah. Amazing roly-poly celebration he's got with the guns out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, we beat Saudi Arabia 3-0 to qualify for the next round. Gary Breen scores in that game. Gary Breen finished with more goals in that tournament than Zidane and Henri combined. Because they <laughs> both scored zero. <laughs> Is the, that's the World Cup that France went out very like in the group stage, isn't it? Yeah, they really capitulated. Yeah. Um, was it, yeah, so four years after being champions. Yeah. Yeah, so, but but that's the last World Cup we've been in, 20 years ago. And so subsequent managers just have, have not been able to get us anywhere. We couldn't qualify for Euros either until Giovanni Trapattoni comes along. And talk, we're talking about direct style. Trapattoni's style was even more derided. And I can remember going to a lot of qualifiers and you couldn't give tickets away to those Ireland games. People just did not want to watch the team. Depends what side of the fence you're on. It's said he didn't encourage our our midfielders to go past the halfway line, the central midfielders. Mm. I'm not sure how true that is because there are other games where we play nice football. We draw 2-2 with Italy. We're two one up with like minutes to go against the world champions in Croke Park in Dublin. We played some good games against Bulgaria, but in general, the team's not good to watch. But it's miserly in defence, and that's where this that's what qualified us for the Euros. But one of the games along the way is against Russia in Moscow, and if it finishes nil nil, but the Irish defensive display. Well, the goalkeeper's display is is fantastic, isn't it? Like, given so many saves from him. Yeah, but it's mainly put down to Richard Dunn, so centre-back, and this was a heroic display. So I think the, the Russians had something like 26 shots. It's in Ireland at three, and Dunn is just, like, single-handedly repelling these shots. There's one where... There's one off the line, isn't there? I don't know how that didn't go in. It kind of comes off the back... His calf comes off and somehow goes the wrong side of the post and Duff clears it away. And 
there's a, during the game he slides in for a tackle and slides off the pitch and there's a running track around it and he um bangs his face off the track so he's cut open there's blood all over his shirt they have to take the shirt off replace it but it doesn't have a number five on the back so they they draw it on in in biro so this kind of like beast of a player cut face makeshift shirt and he became known as the minister for defense after that game (laughs) (laughs) um but that draw went a large way to qualifying us um to getting us to the to a playoff where we qualify at the expense of estonia and so our first tournament in 25 years or or, sorry our first euros in 25 years and how did that go well i went as a fan that was brilliant the football was terrible we lost right. all three games. Um, we were in a very tough group. We were in Croatia, Spain and Italy. And going in, we were so miserly in defence that we thought, you know, we'd have a good chance here if, if teams can't score against us. But I think our limitations were really exposed then in the finals themselves. Like that Spain team were brilliant. They tore us apart. Italy beat us, was it 2 nil? And Croatia, Croatia scored um, a kind of soft header that Shea Given subsequently was was said that Shea Given wasn't fit for the tournament and he he should have kept it out. And even the goal, we scored one goal, but I I was in the stadium and just before the goal was scored, someone in the crowd blew a whistle. So everybody thought it was offside and then it wasn't. So even the goal we scored was ruined. But it it, it kind of, going back to the style the style was so criticised in the qualifiers and then like hopelessly exposed at mm. the finals. Well, it's a great piece. It's a great idea for a structure. Um, and it's uh, yeah, a really interesting lens to view the Irish style. Just before we wrap up, um, we're talking just a few days after a couple of strange results for the Irish national team. Have you got any thoughts on you know, the games against Qatar? And uh, was it Luxembourg earlier? Yeah, well, we've, it's directly related to these conversations we're talking about because we have a new manager in Stephen Kenny who from day one has come in and said, we're not going to play that way anymore. We're going to play football that's going to exhilarate the fans. Now, he's had rotten luck, perhaps some kind of naivety in selection. He's blooding an awful lot of young players and he's putting them directly into first team together. But it's been disastrous results-wise. We've had some really good performances where we've we just missed out on the Euros. We we lost to Slovakia on penalties, where we were like dominating possession away from home, which never happened in the long ball days. But we we're on now an eleven or twelve winless streak, which included losing to Luxembourg, losing one nil at home to Luxembourg. So he is trying to change this style and there's huge question marks if whether he is capable or the players are capable of it because I spoke about the players we had in Jack's days now the Irish team is drawn from a handful of Premier League players perhaps who don't always get in the team then championship players to even below the championship so you're trying to get limited players trying to play a different way play it out from the back, play with three at the back. But I think as a purist or as just as fans of football, it's the correct way to play the game rather than what we saw previously. 
So even under Martin O'Neill, we lost a playoff 5-1 to Denmark at home in Dublin. But even that wasn't as embarrassing as the away leg, where in my opinion, we drew 0-0 in Copenhagen. But it was a shameful performance where we thumped the ball 60 yards for 90 minutes and didn't even attempt. We didn't even attempt to play football in that game. So has Kenny got a backing from the majority of fans or his opinion split? The opinion is split from day one because he's come through the League of Ireland. He he took Dundalk into the Europa League and won a lot of admirers for the way they played football. So he, only the second Irish club ever to reach a European group stage of competition. So from day one, some fans have said, this guy's out, he's dead. He's only managed in the League of Ireland. Others will look at a result and say we lost 1-0 or whatever, it must have been a terrible performance, which isn't necessarily always the case. And then others say, actually, we've played some really nice stuff at times. And I've I've been surprised, actually, how many people are starting to realise that this is a result of years of neglect, of not capitalising on those Jack Charlton days from the FAI, no no investment in League of Ireland, no investment in player structures. It's only in the last couple of years that we have League of Ireland underage leagues. No investment in League of Ireland club academies until relatively recently, but it's kind of piecemeal. No large-scale government investment. And when clubs like Man City can sign a 15-year-old Brazilian, why would they sign a 15-year-old Irish kid who has who ha- it has been proven is technically inferior so we're 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 reaping the whirlwind of a mess and Kenny is at the forefront of it but as ever in football like results dictate whether a manager stays or goes and and more results like those and and they they may not be able to keep him hmm. well fingers crossed he turns it round because it would be would be great to see Ireland succeeding with a, a style of football that's you know more modern and fluid and on the ground and yeah and like we were we were denied so many qualifications to tournaments and then when we got there it was great fun but the football wasn't now we made up for it in the euros in 2016 where we had some great results but martin o'neill was also criticized for the style of play so <laughs> It's lose-lose, isn't it? Well, there's a way to play football too, isn't there? Like, you want to play... You want to be admired and... You want to qualify for tournaments where... People are talking about the Irish team... And not just the Irish fans. Well, thanks so much for that, James. Your piece is uh, fantastic. I'd recommend anybody to go out and get the get the magazine... Head to the website. Um, any, any last words? Do you want to... Maybe I should leave the outro to you... Considering it's your podcast pressure isn't it I've been a guest but no I really enjoyed today I think if if people want an indication of the evolution of that style of Ireland style and a look at some other Irish stories that we talked about and the global stories order your copy or if you're in Ireland pick up a copy and especially let us know let us know what you think of these articles and what your opinions are all right great stuff thanks so much James that was really good cheers Taylor And that's it for the latest episode of the Paul McGoal podcast. For more features like this, order your copy of the brand new issue 6 from pogmagoal.bigcartel.com. Join us next time on the Pogue McGoal podcast.